Got any change? Welcome to the pod, people. Looking for a good time? <laughs> Here are the boys. We're back in town. You know who it is. I'm... I had something for this, and then I lost it. Matisse Van Rossum. <laughs> I'm the doctor, uh, Cleveland Mosier. Uh, I'm Ben Sheets, but you can call me Zorro. Oh, man, Guido Freddie Mercury. That's who I was. <laughs> but, you know, I biffed it already. Um, but, yeah, we're here, and we're talking about Frankenhooker. This is Ben's pick of the week. Yeah, so after The Vanishing, I thought we should mix it up a little bit and go with something much different. God, uh, you know, the next week we're doing, like, uh, a, a Fritz Lang from the 40s. I'm going to get whiplash. <laughs> like, oh, man. No, I, I always like picking movies that I feel like are a little under-recognized. I feel like if we just talked about classics... This it, under-recognized might be the right word. The buried might be the right word. <laughs> but yeah, so Frankenhooker is a 1990 movie um, directed by Frank Henenlotter from movies like Basket Case and Brain Damage. Uh, really uh, master in terms of 80s and 90s schlock movies. Yeah, um, old sexploitation. Yeah, and so this movie is about our main character, whose name is... What is his first name? Frank. No, that's his no. last name. His last name is that's... Franken, because... Oh, okay. Franken Hooker. Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey? Yeah, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Franken, who uh, his wife Elizabeth is savagely killed in a freak lawnmower accident. You know, one of those freak lawnmower accidents. So he decides to remake her. Um, he is a an amateur electrobiologist, I think they said. I, I guess. Um, <laughs> and he uh, saves her head, and he goes out and rebuilds her using parts from prostitutes on the streets of New York. Things go a little awry from there. You could say it's it plays off the classic. Oh, only from there though. They, they weren't the, already going awry. It plays off the classic <laughs> Frankenstein story and gives it a, an interesting twist. There's a there's a number of things that I did enjoy about this movie, but one thing I, I absolutely did enjoy was the premise, like the the idea of recontextualizing Frankenstein in Jersey in the modern day is pretty funny to me. Yeah. Like, like yeah. just going like is just just trashy Frankenstein is is a is funny. Like, and it it was just alone was enough to get giggles out of me. Like, as soon as you hear the accents in the movie, the main character oh. has an excellent accent too. Oh, everybody does. Like, it's and it's just it's thick and it's it's very genuine and authentic and oh god it's funny it's very funny yeah so this movie plays off a, a lot of those b movie you know styles it reminds me in a lot of ways of like a trauma movie mm -hmm. in that it's very much a b movie very over the top it plays into the sexploitation genre a lot too obviously for a movie called frankenhooker oh yeah no it's just it's gonna film. which you know i don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I think, in a way, Henan Lauder does a good job making all of the characters feel like of the world and like they belong in the world. So even when you get the scenes where Jeffrey is looking at all these hookers' body parts to figure out what body parts he wants, the hookers are making fun of Jeffrey 
And, you know, they, they don't seem like just idiot hookers that are being used and thrown out. I think more than anything, I want to kind of relate this movie to a movie that had come out four or five years beforehand. Uh, Weird Science, the John Hughes movie, um, where two nerds build a perfect woman with their computer and bring her to life. And it's this, like, sex symbol, Kelly LeBrock in the, you know, cut-off shirt and everything. And this movie takes that concept of reducing women to the body parts and flips it on its head in a really interesting way. The, I want to dissect that a little bit more. Right. The, the film is particularly unique in the fact that it has multiple scenes that are kind of can be viewed almost as feminist, but the the movie itself is very much so a sexploitation film. So it's it kind of hits you from both ends on that front, which well, I would I thought was interesting. Like it does have like a an appeal for like legalizing <sighs> prostitution. Would, it has like I would be I would be careful in the generalization that sexploitation as a genre is inherently anti feminist. Yeah, uh, because I I think that that plays into the idea that that sex is uh, right is right. only is only used as a means of objectifying women it's a very no, sex negative about, way of looking right it. you're right no no which which is not what i'm saying i'm just i'm saying that the film sorry there are also like with the exploding hookers and whatnot like hilariously misogynistic sure. moments in this film and so it hits you from both ends on that front you're right i should be i should be clarifying i shouldn't be saying the movie is a sexploitation film and it has moments that are both feminist and also sexist in it and sexist and sexploitation are not correlative yeah. yes Cool. Yeah, and I agree. But but yes, the film the film again just hits you from both ends. It, it, it has um, one or two like uh, revelations in the film that you know can be viewed as feminist. But then again, you have exploding fucking hookers <laughs> and whatnot. Like it's it's so goofy and, and it's yeah, full I, TNA I, and it's all male gazy and whatnot. Like it's, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of the male gaze stuff. I will I agree with that for sure. Yeah. But I I also think I mean, it's that like male gaze to the point of laser vision. I, I also think that it. <laughs> It sets up a lot of the the misogyny as a, a platform to destroy it by the end of of the film. All of the particularly misogynistic characters meet their end at the hands of female characters. Yes, it's true. Like there is uh, a punishment. For... Or rather, they they meet their end because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yes. and I mean, there's really only two of those characters. There's there's Jeffrey, who obviously wants to rebuild his girlfriend as the perfect woman using various body parts of hookers, uh, sort of like a, a jigsaw puzzle of sexiness. Um, and then the uh, the pimp who he gets involved with Zorro Zorro, uh, who is maybe one of the worst film actors I've ever seen in my life. He's hilarious. It's, it's, one of my favorites. Really, he's, it's really fucking funny. He's like absurdly buff. He, yeah. he has a face like Freddie Mercury. He's he's Guido Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Or yeah. Because um, yeah, his name definitely. is yeah. And he has a big like uh, metallic Z a big on his necklace. Gold medallion. Yeah. 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 So I call him Freddie Mercury Z. But they, you know, especially especially Zorro, like he is very much undone at the end because of his uh, his desire to possess these women who he uh, who he pimps out. You know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this film hits a, a weird mark for me because while yes, like the climactic message of this film is 
you know, uh, can be viewed as feminist. The the whole road we take to get there is. <laughs> See, I, <laughs> don't even, I don't even think the road we take to get there is all that uh, misogynistic. I think I think there is a lot of male gaze, but I don't see it in too much of a sex negative way. I think a lot of it is pretty sex positive. I mean, they like I said before, they don't look down on these characters really too much. I think the only thing that you could consider that is uh, with the uh, super crack, but I think that serves a purpose in the movie. To show it, how women are controlled. Well, see, here, yeah, yeah, here's the tricky substances. part for me is like I did feel like the women were sort of portrayed as like bimbos, but the problem is is that literally everyone in this film is portrayed as an idiot intentionally, like for comedic value. Like everyone in this film is yeah. is a moron, yeah, and absolutely. it's it's that yeah, like slapsticky kind of schlocky vibe. So it's it's sort of hard to say on that front. So I, I don't, I definitely don't think that like the women in this movie were were viewed in any worse of a way than the men like no yeah, one yeah no one I, I think that's I, the biggest I can thing agree with that i i do think that though the super crack scene is probably my favorite part of the movie Same. the hooker party these women are very much portrayed as uh cartoonishly obsessed with crack yes uh in a not super flattering light Mm -hmm. uh like you said though everybody in this movie is unlikable in some respect or just downright stupid so it doesn't come across as like overly exploitative of or like like it has a a message about a specific type of person or individual so I, i i don't consider it really problematic in that sense but i i don't know if you could if you could really say that this that this kind of movie is like a a, a triumph of feminism <laughs> no. or anything like that absolutely not i think i think it works within the genre very well in terms of b movies in terms of sexploitation this is one of the better if not one of the best i mean it does what it um, sets out to do you know like it's it's titleless frankenhooker and you get that like and that's for sure. Like, Man, okay, I've I've seen this movie before. It's been a really long time, but I I was kind of disappointed that it did not do as much for me on this watch as it did on the last one. And I I think that I just couldn't stop comparing it to Reanimator, which is a nearly perfect film in my opinion and Considering that this movie didn't even come out that many years after Reanimator, in a lot of ways it kind of feels like a knockoff, and it never gets to quite the level of outrageousness that like a trauma film does. It gets close, yes. but it's it doesn't quite push those boundaries far enough that it is you know, something truly insane and outlandish, like something like Terra Firma, which we've talked about on the show, or Mother's Day, or, uh, you know, any of those other trauma films. And it's just like, it's sort of in like this gray land no, where it's I just guess. like, I, 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 it has so many things that I like about it, but it ultimately leaves me wanting so much more from it. And 
it just made me want to watch Rihanna. Yeah, like my my issue like, with it is like it didn't uh, it it did kind of hit a middle uh, uh, an odd middle ground for me between like a movie that that is legitimate that is honestly bad and a movie that's trying to be bad. It felt tryhardy at times, like for for how hard it wanted to be bad, and then other times like it landed. But a lot of the times like those the badness lands and like it it works and it's funny. The biggest problem that I had with this film was. Probably the the lead. I definitely would have preferred like more of like the actual the monster, more of like Frankenhooker monster. Yeah, yeah. No, there's not really um, any actual Frankenhooker until like over halfway the third act. Through yeah, the film, and, which I do think is kind of disappointing. And she's by far the best part about it. But also, just the lead is is just unbelievably flat. I yeah. actually really like the lead. I think oh. he he does his best Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator, but he has that uh, New Jersey accent and. His deadpan, mumbling, bumbling idiot kind of demeanor works for me it well does. in the movie. I, I wish it did he's, for me. He's just, a bumbling creep it idiot so flat. Like, throughout get, the movie. I get the creep part of it, but in, in such a in such a vibrant movie where like we're all the pro it's so messy and the all the, the effects are just so outlandish and it's just it's a camp on camp on camp that I would I would just want a little bit more like color from like the the lead and it's just his his readings are so flat like my problem my problem with him is that he's too one note in the first half yes. i didn't in the first half i didn't have a problem with him being sort of the the straight man where everything is so flat and he's surrounded by all of these much more uh outwardly colorful characters to the, to the extent that it feels intentional in you know like the first half of the film but by the end it started to feel more like that's all that he can do like it's not intentional that is just what he is capable of when it's time for him to become a more colorful character like for god fucking sakes this is this movie is uh, a fucking frankenstein adaptation and we never get uh uh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. You know, like, like yeah, would, we never get anything like that. Regardless of him playing the straight man for most of the movie, something like that to show you know some difference in his character. Yeah, and, and like him, the Jersey thing, like truly, could have been really enhanced. I do. Hey, Ma, it's alive. Have, yeah, you have know, him like... truly have him truly be the <laughs> the Guido mad scientist by by the second half. I think would have been really great. And by the second half, his his sort of deadpan flatness starts to feel like, oh, he just can't act, that's all. Right, and, like, See, there there are a lot of times where, like, people are exploding around him, and he's just like, oh, no, oh, oh, dear. He becomes sort of like not, a like a the, It's like not a vacuum. what I want from a Dr. Frankenstein character. The yeah, deadpan delivery actually worked for me a little bit because I think uh, having it, you know, in comparison to how bright everything else was kind of made everything else a little brighter it grounded it just enough without making it too flat i think for his stuff um just because his reactions were pretty good for the most part the mumbling had some great moments in it you know when he's drawing out the schematics on the the, oh, the image in the, the body the and and he he's mumbling like e equals mc squared and yeah, stupid well, that's, shit like that that's my point exactly well, is the, the first, is in the first half that stuff is great 
But by the time he has successfully created his Frankenhooker girlfriend, the there's no the, arc. Yeah, he's, he's then, just still then flat. Then the the flatness and the straight man doesn't work anymore. Well, I think it, once once Frankenhooker comes out, Frankenhooker is overshadowing everything else in the movie. Period. You know, like that becomes the the main central character. And he's kind of tossed aside. He literally got gets knocked out by her immediately. I mean, and, yeah, but that still yeah. doesn't like change the fact that his character doesn't arc. Like that he 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 doesn't shift, and that he doesn't respond to the world around him differently. Like he still remains flat during those latter sequences. Well, that's his undoing and ultimately, and that's part of what the his point bad of acting the movie. is his undoing. What? No, uh, the the fact that he doesn't change. You know, the fact that he doesn't change is what causes him to get killed ultimately. Well his his mentality, know? like his his sexist views don't change. But like that yeah, that doesn't have to change, yeah. but his actual performance I think is what Yeah, and his characterization really, like what another really fronts. lacks what really lacks an arc in a in a disappointing way to the extent that it takes me out of the movie because if anything, the Frankenhooker character who is so over the top should be an excuse for him to become more over the top and play off of her and let them, mm-hmm. you know, let them shine together rather than just I I just don't like seeing him anymore. Like I I he's he's the protagonist. He's who I've spent most of the film with and I enjoy him for the first half of the movie, you know, up past the the super crack scene, which I think is I think his his deadpan delivery during that scene when he's fucking like he's got all these hookers in a hotel room and he's like met he's dressed as a doctor and like the the cartoonish doctor with the lab coat and the big glasses and like the reflective thing on his forehead and he's measuring leg diameters and like taking calipers to titties and stuff like that. In that scene, the deadpan stuff is great because it plays as a perfect foil to the hookers, but it's just there. Then it stops feeling like an intentionally deadpan character and it just starts feeling like this actor has one note that he can play and he doesn't know how to adapt to what's happening yeah. in the film. I mean, and it takes me out of it. Even up through like that sequence for me, like I, I was sort of finding it problematic uh, because there just there's a lot of times where you can just you can practically see him reading his lines off camera. He came across as very amateurish to me, like his his acting ability was was pretty was weak. It didn't come across as flat. Like, just on, like, a monotone level, but just as in a, and from an inexperienced level. And, again, it's Frankenhooker. I wasn't expecting, like, a, a, a masterpiece theater, you know, <laughs> you know, like, episode or anything like that. But I wanted, yeah, I just wanted a little, little vibrance. But, and I, and I don't think, like, I get what you're saying, Ben, about, like, him existing, like, as contrast for, for the rest. But my problem is, is that it felt less like contrast and more like a void. Like, and it was, it was detracting and, and sucking away yeah. from the vibrancy of the other characters. And he was acting almost like as a, an emotional black hole because his, his reads were just so flat because he was just trying to memorize his lines. I, I kind of, I kind of agree with that too, because like in something like this, I'm not looking for good acting. Fucking yeah, Zor- Zorro's, Zorro is just an absolutely God awful actor, but it's funny Whereas Jeffrey, at a certain point, is not 
acting badly in a funny way. It's just so one note when I need him to play a different note. And I just don't care when he's on camera and I want to see more of Frankenhooker and more of Zorro. And it's just like, well, I've, I've stopped giving a shit about my my protagonist and that's a little bit of a problem. I, I mean, the the set pieces do a lot to save that. I mean, especially like once Frankenhooker knocks uh, knocks him out and escapes and goes into the city on on her quest for Johns. Yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly, like yeah. I, there's not a ton of other scenes with just him after that. You know, most of it is focused on Frankenhooker after that point. You get a couple of scenes of him, you know, running out to the city, you you know, frantically trying to find her, and like yelling at like the the crazy apocalypse guy on the street for example stuff like that you know but most of that stuff is pretty small in comparison to the amount of screen time we get with frankenhooker thankfully because frankenhooker is introduced so late which i do think is a bit of a problem i agree with that i would like frankenhooker to be introduced after like the first act i do think that once she is introduced they use her the majority of the time, which I think is perfect for what it is. Well, they have to. People want their monies back. Yeah, <laughs> like, honestly. Because like, there's not much I, left in the movie. They I, have to use her most of the time. I I would love... I, I wish Frankenhooker be, you know, became a thing after, like, the first act instead of the second act. Like, I could do away with a lot of the stuff of him, like, having the spaghetti dinner with her... Oh, it wasn't even sp- spaghetti oh, yeah, dinner. It was it was, it was wine and, and pizza. pizza leftovers. Three-day-old yeah, right. pizza. Which um, I thought was funny. I thought the fact that was, he made I mean, a fancy dinner at, with uh, reheated pizza. I think, I think like, the gags funny, and the ideas were gags, good. I but, think, again, it's the execution. I thought it was Flat. I think that the gags are really good. I think that the writing, there were a couple of times where it was fairly bothersome. Again, it's Frankenhooker, like, picking Man, it apart. Man, I, I really found the it, writing fun, though. There, like, was, there was one part where he's he's talking to his mom. This happens, there, there are two monologues that he has in this movie where the writing is instead of, like, okay, this person has to have a monologue, and he just says the same thing six times over, and I counted. Like, it, <laughs> where, like, he says, like, I just, I feel so isolated. I just, I feel like I'm the only person left in the world. I feel like, and it goes on like that, and I was, like, counting it up, and I was like, he said it six times. Like, he's just said it differently, like, but it's well, the same thing. Like The thing I loved about that scene is he's bumbling on and on about his problem and essentially talking in circles, like you were saying, but like what kills record. me with that is his mom's response, which without, you know, she takes a beat, and then she goes... Do you want a sandwich? Yeah, which is very funny. Like, and that's my thing. Like, is it would have been funnier, like, if his if his monologue had been a little bit more impactful and powerful, like, than than a flat delivery, like a shitty delivery. That line, her the mom's line, would have been even funnier. Like, if he'd been like, you know, this is just all that's left in the world for me. I I just I'm so vacuous. Everything is lost forever. You want a sandwich? Like, See, it's funnier that way. Uh, like, there's, I don't there's... know if I agree. I think having him be being bumbling rather than being w- smart or well spoken works better for the movie um because he is an oh, idiot you bumbling know bumbling and obnoxious though like and and again just like repeating the same words is just obnoxious um, i mean he didn't repeat the same exact thing he was just talking in circles like i said and that's what a lot of people do i mean we even do it sometimes on the podcast sure but 
we edit. <laughs> and it's a different format. I really like how he starts drilling into his own skull. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like, uh, it, I... drilling into his own brain to, to relax himself. Some weird-ass phrenology. Uh, yeah, that... I thought that was funny. That shit, I think, is really funny, where he's like, I just... I'm so anxious, I just... I need to calm down. He goes to, like, a like a mock-up brain that's got a bunch of pins, and he's like, he's like uh, oh, yeah, this should be the spot. And he just takes a power drill and drills into his yeah. own head. Just trepanates, just <laughs> yeah, like, Yeah, just right, trepanates. Cool. Yeah, that shit, I thought, was really fucking funny. That stuff is good, like... Jeffrey is, works for me for like the first half of the film, and then he works until he doesn't. Um, I I'm I feel like I'm a middle ground between the two of you. Like he didn't bother me off the bat like he did to you, Cleve, but he definitely he definitely doesn't do it for me by the end of the film. But fortunately, there are other characters that make him not as frustrating. I guess. Well, yeah, and and fortunately too, like those those were. Uh, I think that's the sum of any problems I had with this film. Everything else I enjoyed thoroughly, so we can get into the fun stuff. But that's all. It's all off my chest. I love the super crack scene. Yes, yes. yes. we should talk it's about great. that. Well, in general, the effects in this movie I found super fun. Yeah, tons of foam. Lots of good. Practical tons of effects. practicals. You know, not a ton of blood. That was actually intentional. I believe I was reading that. Apparently, they had a really hard time keeping this from being NC-17 because uh, that NC-17 rating had just started in 1990 when this movie came out. And the ratings board with the movie called Frankenhooker were being particularly harsh on it. That paired with the fact that it was a low-budget indie movie made it especially hard so they had to be careful with some of the more violent scenes that's interesting i i honestly while i was watching it i didn't think about the lack of blood but you're absolutely right there's a lot of death but there's not much actual blood and i also find it surprising that it's the blood that would have pushed it into nc-17 and not the excessive tits and ass yeah and i mean it is what it is, I guess. I, I thought the effects were great. I mean, from the opening of the movie, the first shot we get basically is Jeffrey working on this brain with an eye in it, like floating in purple Kool-Aid. It yeah. just reminds me of a mini- miniature mother brain from Metroid. True. Yeah. Like, no, I, uh, like, kudos to the film, like, uh, on the opener. I thought it was very funny. How yeah, it was the just opening's open- great. He's just working on this brain, like, in the middle of, which we also find out, like, isn't even his house. Like, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. It's his girlfriend's house because that he's at her dad's birthday. Yeah, their and, birthday barbecue, and he's just and in he's the just middle in the of the kitchen with like a car battery hooked up to an eyeball brain and just like poking at it and shit. And his girlfriend's mom comes and is like, "Jeffrey, can you pass the ketchup?" And he just has the ketchup like entangled in all the wires of his weird science experiment. I thought that was great. I love how everyone is so blase about it, too. Like, his mom comes in to, like, cut the cabbage with the eye right there, the the brain, and she doesn't even recognize it, even when sparks are, like, flying at her and stuff. She's like, oh, hilarious! Yeah, no, it's it's great. I, I also, I like the opening credits. They're a bit long, but when he's, you know, just drawing scientific mumbo-jumbo all over this, like, Mm -hmm. extremely detailed 
uh, diagram of human musculature. Yeah, I get a real kick out of it because I've been like uh, studying a little bit, just ground floor level, like circuitry stuff where it stares back. And uh, like I-, I was recognizing like some of the patterning and stuff like in like the, the circuitry diagrams. And it's like I just, it just, it's- just how hilariously wrong it is. It's just very funny. To I me. just think it's really funny how at the end of that segment, when we finally see like the when we pull back and we get the full shot and he's just got this big diagram, but there's just uh, a photograph of his girlfriend's head <laughs> taped on. Yeah. Top of like it. the proportions are wrong. So right. it's like a little too small. I, I will say that funny. as much as I, I do find that opening sequence funny, it does oh, runs. largely, runs. well, I mean, it's, it's too long, but it also largely contributes to the movie feeling like a reanimator knockoff. Because the opening credits of Reanimator are like scrolling over like diagrams of human anatomy and musculature and skulls and eyeballs and shit. And then this movie, which is also about reanimating dead bodies, starts with opening credits of human musculature and anatomy and drawings and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. In some ways, I feel like it was poking fun. At Reanimator a little bit, too. I mean, yeah, it probably was, but also, like, Reanimator is not, like, a hyper-serious film that needs to be poked at. Like, it's a horror comedy. Like, poking fun at another comedy that is already funny on its own feels a bit strange to me. Like, it's... uh, I mean, yeah, homage is maybe what it was. I... I don't know well, for sure. I mean, if I, it's a maybe, then it's not. I mean, that's that's the thing about homages, right? Like, I think I think it was maybe, making but... fun, just because while Reanimator has its funny parts, it is very deadpan and takes itself very seriously at times. At least in Jeffrey Combs's character, yeah, you know, in his I, main character position, I guess. But I think that he's a very comedic character, and how deadpan he is, and Jeffrey and Frankenhooker is a is a poor imitation of of Herbert West and Reanimator. I don't know. It's man, like this movie's fun, but by the end of it, I'm just like, I just want to watch Reanimator now. Yeah, which I've never seen. So, oh my god! Yep. Cleveland! I know, I'm sorry, I'm you sorry. You are in for a treat, my dude! Good. we All eventually right. get around to Reanimator. Most definitely. Um, And I think you'll definitely see those parallels. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I wish it's, I could, yeah, I would have more to say in, on that in a lot of In a lot of ways, Frankenhooker is like a, like a sexploitation reanimator. And and I, I think there is some, some decent homage to it. Uh... I, I think it's a little bit too close to Reanimator. Reanimator is such a, an incredible film. Like I said before, I, I, I think it's a nearly perfect film that when your imitation is this close to what you're imitating, it just draws attention to how much better. Right, you could be watching. I, th- I think movie. in a lot of ways yeah. it stands on its own for the things it does differently. Though I think you know the way this movie portrays the unique late '80s sleaze of New York is really unique to the time. Um, the production design and a lot of the sets are really cool. I think of, for example, the bathroom where Jeffrey meets Zorro for the first time. Yeah, no, the sets that's are pretty a, rad. No, that, that's a great set. And I, I, I see where you're coming from, but also there are plenty of other films of the era that portray True. 
that portray the that unique New York sleaze that are not reanimator knockoffs. Sure, but I think this movie is kind of the end of that era. You know, yeah. right around this time, uh, Giuliani came in and gentrified everything. You know, Absolutely. all of those whorehouses and sleazy bars were replaced by uh, McDonald's and Fuji and, you know, and all these different... Absolutely. It is it it is very much the end of an era. But even something like comparing it to Frank Henenlotter's other stuff, like Basket Case is, is a, a great film that I think also does a really good job of like immersing you in that same kind of New York sleaziness exactly like what you're talking about and and I think uh and you know I'm sure we'll eventually get around to doing an episode on Basket Case but I think that that Basket Case is a more uh narratively unique film that has a lot of the same hallmarks that Frankenhooker does but it feels more of like its own entity rather than than an homage or knockoff or imitation. whatever you want or imitation or whatever you want to call it of something like Reanimator or even Frankenstein. You know, it's it, Frankenhooker has a lot of really good ideas. It, even its premise of doing Frankenstein in Jersey, like Cleveland, you were saying earlier, is such a fucking golden idea. But it just it it doesn't quite do enough to distinguish itself from or rather I, I should say to truly distinguish itself from some of the films that it is it imitating. wears on its sleeves have you guys seen weird science at all I've i was making that analogy science. earlier I, but i think it's really apt because you know in terms of plot devices they are very similar movies I haven't seen to Weird the point Science. where it's nearly a parody. I haven't seen Weird Science, but I've heard that it has not aged very. No, well. it has not aged well, <laughs> and this movie works for me on this viewing. I read it as kind of a parody of that movie and the misogyny of you know reducing a full human being down to their body parts. Sure. Um, and you get that especially in the third act. And that is and that is some of the stuff that I really like in Frankenhooker. And like I said, I haven't seen Weird Science, and I would I would like to see it just to sort of recontextualize Frankenhooker. But that that's the stuff that I do that I do think Frankenhooker does really well. Especially when Jeffrey's trying to figure out like I how do I bring my girlfriend back? Like I've got her head. How do I build her a new body? It's like, oh I know. I can buy female body parts it's it's very obvious like that is an extremely sleazy frame of mind yeah. oh or like when he's like he's talking to the hamster too oh yeah like, the guinea oh the guinea pig that yeah. weird me the fuck out when he's like, testing the super crack on it <laughs> it's like if you weren't a guinea pig i'd bring you back to my house Ugh. uh but Ugh. yeah like the the idea especially like when he develops a super crack he's like i'm not killing anybody i'm just presenting them with something that they want and that will end in them dying. Well, the like, thing I'm I, not a murderer. The thing I, I got a kick out of, too, is 
he went through those mental hoops to try to justify it to himself. And then in the moment when they found all of the super crack, right. you know, he tried to stop them. You know, he was like, this is going to kill you guys. You guys are going to explode. And right. they wouldn't listen. Goddamn. It, when they all smoke the super crack and explode. Great scene. That is such I, a I think it's actually excellent, excellently edited, too. Like, a lot of scene, uh, shots where you get... You know, the camera moving to people and without any sort of jump cut or anything, it goes to like a prop prosthetic blowing up. And it's very seamless in a lot of those edits. Uh, yeah, I would say it's seamless for about two thirds of them. Yeah. But even like, the ones it, but even the ones where you can see the where jump it's obvious, cut. It's funny in this for kind it. yeah in this kind of oh, film that's yeah. funny that's the kind of shit like, that i don't mind like the ones the, like the ones where it's like very cl- vividly clearly like like a dummy that's been like fucking loaded with fireworks like some of those were funnier to me like where you can oh tell it's God. like it's just a big it's just a big um uh mannequin like fuck and that funny scene stuff. and that scene goes so on goofy. for such a long time yeah and i don't have a problem with it especially when we keep cutting to zoro outside like weakly trying to break down the door because we see him actually like break open the door and then it just closes again because like obviously someone was just like holding it on the other side and he's such a big guy he's he's like a huge they could even like fake it right like he's like a a massive like bodybuilder physique yeah he's he's swole and you can tell that he's doing these very weak like shoulder bashes against the door (laughs) because he's not supposed to break the door down which I think is really fun and then when he finally does, he just gets immediately hit in the head by a, a flying fly, head, a flying hooker head that has just exploded. That that is definitely my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, of the it's great because that that is where it gets so over the top and ridiculous, and it's just absolutely delightful. And I I wish there was more of that kind of shit in the movie. There's uh, enough of that for me. Since it is a short running time, it movies under an hour and a half. Minutes. Yeah, it's about eighty minutes. Um, that all of that works super well for me. I mean, between that and the opening sequence where Elizabeth is run over by the lawnmower because he makes a remote controlled lawnmower that you can use. Show, so she shows her dad it by starting it on and driving it straight into herself. I thought yeah. stuff like that was great. Apparently, the the lead who played um, the the monster, she um, used to be a uh, Playboy model. Penthouse, yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, um, apparently too. She mentions in the first scene at the family birthday that oh, yeah, that weird plot she point. she was fat. Apparently, she was wearing a fat suit during that scene i mean she's very obviously wearing a fat yeah oh my god during that scene i mean it's it's mostly just around like her gut and her hips i I didn't even notice it's very like because i mean yeah obviously later she is rebuilt with hooker body parts you know so she's now supposed to be skinny but it's obviously the actress's actual body yeah the, the fat suit is is a little corny especially because it's like late 80s early 90s standards of fat where she's just like a little chonky around the around the hips and, and yeah. belly and it's like she's not really exactly yeah, that was the funniest yeah. part like <laughs> i it it does a good job playing into like the unrealistic expectations of body image but more than that i like the uh the little bit about her being a compulsive eater 
and then once she comes back at, as Frankenhooker, um, she goes to the bar, which is it has a funny name. It's something Cuervos. I think it's uh, no, it's it's Huevos something. It's like oh, it's, it's just it's, it's just big it's, balls. It's like right? Grande Huevos. Yeah, yeah Grande yeah. Huevos, which is great. Um, but which is uh, even proper Spanish syntax. But, correct. But uh, she uh, there's pretzels on the bar, and she just goes ham on them because the compulsive eater stuff in there is still I, there. I did think it was really funny during the the dinner scene where he's just like talking to her head, and he has all of the pictures of what her what she could look like. Like, like after he puts her back together and it's just obviously like playboy and penthouse cutouts with her with pictures of her head glued on top <laughs> just like fully nude he's like you could look like this or you could look like this or even this <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was, that was great really funny um I think she does a great job in yeah, this she's role good. She's, she's awesome she ass. honestly she's probably the best actor in the film yeah i would, I, I would agree um I, I she would, has she has these goofy ass facial tics since she was remade from the parts of all these hookers she just repeats all these lines that the hookers had said yeah. earlier in the movie and uh yeah she kind of goes out and about killing all the men who try to take advantage See, that's, of her, that's my of. that's my thing though like i wish I wish that started earlier because really they could have done more of that. She kills, she just kills like two dudes. Yeah, yeah. but I mean the the whole, the whole scene her. with the guy that looks like a mix between Danny DeVito and Mr. Magoo, I thought yeah, was it's hilarious. Great. That's, yeah, it's great. It was it was hilarious. My, Wanted more point. of it. Yeah, that's my point. Give me more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, don't give me that over halfway through the film and then have one other person die afterwards. Very quickly. Be, Very quickly in the hallway. And then that be it. Like, oh, I guess there's two other people because she also goes to like uh, the the bar. Grande Huevos and the dude like starts going down on her in the corner and we just see like smoke and his feet kicking and then he's dead. Yeah. And there's like 12 other things going on in that scene. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I would, I wish they would get to that point earlier in the film so we could get more of that really goofy shit. Like I'll make a comparison to uh, another similar uh, genre sexploitation film, Call Girl of Cthulhu. In that it's it's kind of a similar premise but there's this awesome montage of like the the Lovecraftian call girl like killing a bunch of people and and it goes on for a while and it happens like halfway through the film and i was just wanting more of that in this like there's there's almost too much preamble to the actual frankenhooker like the movie's about frankenhooker give me frankenhooker you know i i definitely agree with that i definitely wanted more i was thankful that it was split up a little bit into scenes that i did enjoy like the super crack scene and the opening helped me carried myself through it a little bit more yeah. but i definitely think it was a little long on the draw i think honestly i just i just think that first act could be trimmed down a little bit and 
have more stuff in the third act because like i definitely would not want the super crack scene to be any shorter or be removed no it's perfect just it just (laughs) it just needs to happen sooner like cut down some of the preamble in the first act get us to that super crack scene earlier then get us to the frank frankenhooker sooner and then give us more of frankenhooker being frankenhooker yeah and i i think that would that would help the structure of the film a lot and honestly i i would have been more curious to see more of the like weird lovecraftian flesh beasts at the end the yeah ones that kill yeah Zorro. Those are great. he just gathers up all of the body parts of the of the exploded hookers and just like puts them in his grape kool-aid in the garage and then when Zorro shows up and cuts off his head he gets attacked by just like these like titty monsters like titties with like hands and like lips with like legs and shit like that and reminded me of like society almost yes yes absolutely. Uh, in terms of those like flesh beast monsters i I thought they were fantastic though um really well designed yeah surprisingly i I liked that but i i feel like that scene was was too short unleash the flesh beasts sooner you know like give me more of yeah a frankenhooker and the flesh beasts wreaking havoc It, it just felt like I wonder how much of the structure of this movie with that kind of stuff is due to its low budget. Because I feel like the scenes where we have the most use of budget are the flashiest scenes. Um, And those are usually fairly brief, somewhat to a fault sometimes. You know, I think the super crack scene and that ending scene and even the makeup effects on Frankenhooker and stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm... I'm sure the budget has something to do with it, but like when it comes to the to the flesh beasts, like you've you've got those props, like you've got those monsters, like you could you could definitely do more with them without raising your budget too much, you know? Like you, you the, the props are built. You just film more with them, have them do more stuff, but I I'm sure it did come down to budget. Do you know what this movie's budget is? I think I want to say it was like pretty low, one obviously. or two million. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. And I, I appreciate movies like this for for that. You know, like they're they're obviously not trying to be masterpieces of film. It's it's that that exploitation you know genre, whether it's black exploitation or sex exploitation or or whatever, where part of the charm is doing what you can with very little money. And and I I appreciate that a lot. So like the budget doesn't doesn't bother me. Same. I I just wish I just wish there was a little bit more of that kookiness. You know I I think that I think that it almost gets there, but it's still by the time the credits roll, it just leaves me wanting a little bit yeah. more. I think that's what bothered me about it more than anything else is how close it got for me. Like it was almost there. You know it was almost just really fucking great. See I think it. I think unlike a lot of. I want to call them gimmick horror movies where they kind of play off the title, essentially. Yeah, no, I think um, that's accurate. Gimmick isn't necessarily a I bad, think this a movie word. delivers a lot more, you know, and it hits a lot more than most of those other ones just because you do have scenes like the super crack scene or the flesh beast scene or even the very finale, which I want to talk about a little bit where Zorro cuts off Jeffrey's head and he gets put on a 
Well, I think we're saying the same thing, Ben. Like, I think uh, it it is much better than a lot of those other like schlocky films, and it, it just it it was so close to being great for it, and it just it didn't didn't get all the way there. And and like talking about uh, a film playing off its gimmick, like the title is Frankenhooker, and Frankenhooker doesn't make an appearance until like. 45 minutes into an 80 minute movie 45 50 minutes like that's my problem is not the gimmick but it's just that give me more of the gimmick yeah give give me more of the gimmick you know like cut out the filler give me more of the super crack stuff more of of frankenhooker more of zorro's bad acting yeah and i would yeah. agree with that yeah. Maybe um, we, can, we can move into the yeah yeah i I'll, yeah all i meant by that is i think while i did want more i think it does give more than average for that stuff thankfully and i think that's what separates it from those bad gimmick movies um so though the other thing i wanted to talk about is the very ending you know uh jeffrey gets his head cut off as he explained earlier the uh serum that he made was estrogen only based or something like that yeah it's estrogen based and only works on female yeah so uh uh elizabeth or the reanimated version of Elizabeth puts him together, but in a female body, and he uh, freaks out, and that's the end. Yeah, of the he movie. just put she just puts his head on on top of a hooker's body. Yeah, which is which is pretty funny, and I I think it's uh, poetic in a way that after this whole time he's so obsessed with rebuilding his dead girlfriend in the perfect body and getting all of her measurements perfect and everything that uh it ends with him against his will having his head put onto a woman's body and he does not like it he even says where's my johnson <laughs> I, I, I think I think that is funny, and I, I it was think a that solid goof. It's it's a solid goof, and I do think it 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 uh, is one of the one of the things that I think does separate Frankenhooker from some other uh, more exploitative sexploitation films, um, and sort of giving some of the the power back to the female characters. So I, I appreciate I appreciated that. I did think that ends rather abruptly after that. Though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, the, I, the, ending, I, the ending doesn't bother me too much. I just wish it got to that stuff sooner. I think it's, yeah, it's that. a fun ending. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about briefly um, about the making of this movie before we jump into ratings. Uh, sure. One thing is this movie came out a, of a meeting Hen and Ladder had with a producer where he was pitching a movie and the uh, producer was like, this is a great idea but we can't sell it. Do you have anything else? And Hennen Lauder didn't have anything else. So on the spot, he made up the story of Frank and Hooker. Wow. And... That, makes me, that makes me wonder what he pitched to the guy that they couldn't sell, that this was the alternative, and the producer said, oh, yeah, that's the one we're going to go with. Yeah, and uh, so he just pitched, like, half of the movie – throwing in more and more ridiculous stuff and the producer just kept laughing and laughing at it and he was like 
what are we calling this? And he's like, uh, Frankenhor, no, Franken, uh, prostitute, no, Frankenhooker, Frankenhooker. And he's like, brilliant. And like a week later, he got sent a contract to make the movie. That's pretty good. That's big dick energy. And, uh, Honestly, he should have, he should have gone farther, pushed it, pushed it even farther. It's so close to being in, in trauma territory. It's so close. It's just not quite there. He should have tried to sell this shit to fucking uh, Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, well, the funny thing is this movie um, was released. I think the company that put it out was they specialized in exploitation and like softcore movies. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's weird because Henenlotter is known for his 80s sleaze. Um, but this is a different kind of sleaze for him um, that I think is interesting. The The other thing I wanted to mention is after this movie, Hennen Lauder put out Basket Case 3. And then for the longest time, he was on a hiatus from making movies for about tw- 10, 20 years. Um, and that was because he started a movie imprint called Something Weird Videos. And they released older grindhouse exploitation, exploitation movies all across the country. So a lot of these cool. more obscure exploitation and sexploitation movies got, you know, distribution in rental places, in Tower Records, in places like that where they wouldn't ne- normally get any recognition at all, you know. Blood Freak was a big um, <laughs> release with them, which is one of the first... Fuck me. Yeah, Blood Freak. Yeah, the turkey one was one of them. Um, Blood Freak, you know, the turkey um, one. Blood Feast also, which is like the originator of the gore splatter movie in American horror. There were a lot of huge titles that just didn't get any recognition until they put them out on DVD. Um, So I just wanted to give him props for that, too, because it's a super important thing that they did. I've got I've got a lot of respect for Franken and Lauder. Like, I I think for me, Frankenhooker falls short of what I think it could be. But like, I I really like Basket Case. Like I mentioned before, I, I would love to talk about Basket Case on this show at some point. And knowing that. He stopped making films so he could give older, more obscure exploitation films a chance to be noticed. That's a pretty fucking baller move, and I have mad respect for that. And, uh, well, Blood Freak is a beast in and of itself. Um, turkey beast. If if you go back and listen to our, our Thanksgiving Just episode, watch, watch the last, like... In of itself? Watch the last, like, five or ten minutes of... <laughs> Blood Freak, so you can see the legendary, uh, like, director interview right at the end of the movie, where he's, like, talking about the dangers <laughs> of drugs, of drugs. <laughs> when he's chain-smoking chain a cigarette, and he just busts into a long coughing fit for a solid two go, minutes. Go back and listen to our first Thanksgiving episode to hear my individual review of Blood Freak. And you'll get get the full experience. But, uh, yeah, good for Frank Henenlotter. Do we want to rate? Yeah, we might as well. You can start, Ben, okay, since um, it's your pick. Yeah, so I 
actually didn't enjoy it quite as much on repeat viewings as I did before. I think this is a more minor movie in Henenlader's filmography. I would definitely put, you know, Brain Damage and Basket Case above it. But I do think it's still a very fun, very entertaining movie and a great movie to watch drunk with friends. It has enough that you'll put people into a state of surprise by it. You know, no one's going to expect super crack. No one's going to expect any of that type <laughs> of stuff. Expects super um, crack. I actually wasn't bothered by the, the main actor. You know, I recognized him from movies like Street Trash, which he starred in. He was very flat and deadpan, but that didn't bother me too much. Who stand, stood out more, though, was definitely the the woman who played Frankenhooker. I thought she did a fantastic job. Super silly, super fun. I thought the effects were great. Guido, Freddie Mercury, fantastic. <laughs> um, overall, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but I think uh, it's uh, cut above your your standard slock. So I'm going to give it a solid four out of five. Yeah, uh, no, um, above average. I think 2.5 is average. I'm going to give it a three. I did not like the lead, um, and there are a few little little things, you know, here and there that were kind of obnoxious. And again, like, not enough Frankenhooker. But, um no, other than that, like, again, the there were some fantastic scenes in there, very funny, and the film got much funnier as soon as I started uh, actually drinking. Um, that helped a lot. <laughs> that helped a great deal uh, with this movie. I do recommend starting this film drunk. Uh, that that will help. When when was it? Was I think it was, like, when he was going about, like, picking up the hookers, where I was just like, I'm too sober for this, and I just had to go into the freezer and grab those rumple mints. Like, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't doing it for me until then. No, I, um, I can feel that. Yeah, so uh, and that's that's normally not my thing, like uh, at all. But that was it felt somewhat required. Um, but yeah, no, that three. I, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. There, there's some parts that really made me laugh. I just I wanted more from it. Yeah, I, I I'm very much in your camp, Cleveland. Uh, I the last time I saw this film was uh, when Ben and I were freshmen living in the dorm together. Uh, that was when Ben introduced it to me, and uh, I remembered very little of it, which means that at the time I was probably uh, drunk and or high, which would explain my previous rating. I was going back through my letterbox, and uh, last time I watched it, I gave it a strong four out of five, but unfortunately this time it, it didn't it didn't quite reach that level for me maybe because I'm a little bit more familiar with uh, Frank Henenlotter's filmography and what he's capable of or uh, you know maybe I saw this before I saw reanimator too I can't remember for yeah, sure you just you've aged a little bit since you were a freshman yeah no you've def- matured definitely um, I, I yeah. do I do think that this this film has plenty of value um, as a fun <laughs> exploitation film it's less than 90 minutes so i wouldn't even say that it wears out its welcome at all you know it's a fun movie that you you can you know just sit down and enjoy it i'd say it's best enjoyed with friends probably under the influence of something um but you know it, it's it's fun and it's it's got a lot of it's got a lot of good things going for it but i think it doesn't quite go as far as i want it to and it doesn't do quite enough to distinguish itself from uh, something like Reanimator, which has such a similar premise. So I'm going to echo you, Cleveland, and give it a, uh, a three out of five pods. Um, not, a, not a bad film by any means, 
uh, a fun, schlocky, enjoyable ride. You know, worth checking out, I would say. Uh, so that'll give Frankenhooker an average of 3.3 out of 5 pods. Have some fun with it. Uh, I forgot to mention during the review that the the lead actor was the main actor in Street Trash, which I'm sure we'll get to eventually. Uh, that movie is much That's more mean spirited than this one. It's all about killer homeless people who uh, become like zombie mutants after taking some evil version of drugs. That um, sounds really fun. Is it is al- fun. Is that also a Frank Henenlotter film? Um, it's not Henenlotter, but it's very Henenlotter influenced. Um, and that was part of the reason why this guy was cast even, because Henenlotter loved the movie. Um, I just wanted to give it a quick shout out because I would definitely recommend his performance in that over this. Yeah, that's that's something I'd be interested to see. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. I know he's got a bit part in King of New York, but it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Um, so I, yeah, I, I would like to know if he's got more chops than what he <laughs> displays in this movie. <laughs> Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. Oh, it sure is. Here we are once again with no preparation. I mean, yeah, we prepare it. Ship. All right, let's let's do it. Let's do a little little sponsoring. Sponsor do you need the time. copy? I always need some something. Yeah, uh, this week is is sponsored by Don't Drink This Biohazard uh, uh, Energy Drink. Um, uh, the, the good folks at Section uh, 92B have uh, graciously sponsored us with the new um, beverage that they want to unleash upon the public and have sweeping the streets. Uh, uh, biohazard, do not drink this, or whatever the fuck I called it a minute ago. Um, uh, that was the one. It's, that's the one. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it sure is a, a drink, an energy drink, and uh, don't mind the the sludgy texture of it. It's just part of the fun. Um, uh, looking so, to enhance your soccer game? Enhance your soccer game with and your sports time with Biohazard. Do not drink the energy drink. Um, uh, and their it says their catchphrase is uh, release the flesh beast. So, <laughs> so can I go. can I drink this? Uh, well, you see, this is the, this is the confusing part, right? It says biohazard. Do not drink the energy drink. Right. Will it give me energy if I drink it? It it says it's good for your sports game. Oh. Well, I'll be sure to bring a whole bushel full at my next sports game. Excellent. Do love a good bushel of energy drink. Thanks, Biohazard. Do not drink this energy drink. I look forward to drinking it at my next sport. Let's release the flesh beast. Get back in your cage, flesh beast. All right. Ben, do you have anything else for us? Yeah, I do have a hot take corner if we have time. Uh-oh! You find yourself in a strange room. An academic circle. Every point you bring up is followed with a counterpoint. All you can see is disagreement. Nothing makes sense here. You have entered the hot take zone. My hot take of the week is a pretty spicy one, I think. Okay. Um, so... 
having characters that make dumb decisions in horror movies and are fodder for being killed is too often an excuse for poor writing in horror movies and part of the reason horror movies aren't respected as intelligent movies a lot of times. I mean, yes. I, <laughs> I fully agree. Um, Hush is a great example of doing it right. I about half agree with that. Word. Um, I, I guess it's room for both. The part of that that I definitely agree with is I think stuff like that does make horror less respected as a genre and you know, throws it into that category of genre films where it's not like a real serious film, like, oh, it's a genre film. Um, I, I agree with that. That being said, I think that like every genre of film, there's a lot of subgenres within horror and having stupid characters that make stupid decisions is not necessarily bad depending on what kind of horror film you're making. I, I think the difference is, A, it's mainly used in slasher movies to give reason for people to die where they wouldn't normally do it. It's one thing if they make, you know, an adrenaline rush decision that isn't the most well-advised or well-thought-out. It's another thing for them to just go completely away from logic sure. to to, you know, conveniently agree with the plot and i and i think a lot of that depends heavily on the logic of the film in question nothing makes a character's dumb logic stand out more than if the film is not dumb enough to match that character's logic you know what i mean and and i think that in a lot of slasher films you're right that is the 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 reason that characters get killed where otherwise they wouldn't because how many times you've been watching a horror film and been being like oh my god don't go in the fucking spooky house don't go in the fucking house you idiot well if the person in question shared that logic they would turn around and be like you know what I'm not going to go in the spooky house and they would leave and you wouldn't have a horror movie. That would be like the best twist ending for a film. Well, the, sure just like the, the fact that you even put that decision yeah. in the movie in your movie is just an excuse for bad writing. If you can't figure out a better way of, you know, getting them t into those positions to begin with. Yeah, like I like I said it depends on the film and the logic of the film. Uh look if you look at something like uh It Follows like we've we've talked about on the show and that we all gave very high praise it's one of the only films that's in our our perfectly scored uh golden pod gold, golden pod category that's one of those films where characters making stupid decisions would really hurt the film oh god because yeah. because it is a higher concept horror film that is extremely well written the characters feel realistic their decisions make sense for who those characters are and if you threw in a uh something where like one of the the characters tried to go fist fight the the entity or something <laughs> like ran up and tried to throw a punch 
that would break the film. It would be like that. This that is such a fucking stupid decision. Like, why would you do that? Whereas in something like a uh, Friday the Thirteenth sequel, having some uh, dumb broy jock character try to go fist fight Jason, like yeah, that's an equally stupid decision that ends up getting the character killed. But in that kind of movie, it doesn't piss me off. Because it's a Friday the 13th movie, it's a dumb slasher movie, and you need to have the dumb, unlikable characters do things that get them killed. I don't think it's necessarily a lazy writing decision unless the film is otherwise written well. It totally depends on the story you're trying to tell. Like, I... See, but I think that proves my point. You know, you're giving an excuse for bad writing. You know, if the the rest of the movie is written poorly, you're okay with bad decisions being made because the rest of the movie but are, is but written are bad, poorly. So are badly, poorly. But I are mean, badly are badly written films inherently unenjoyable? Yeah, like or, you're, or, or you're, schlocky films. And you you suggested Frankenhooker. You are you are of all of us on the podcast the strongest proponent of a of a bad film being successful if it's entertaining. So. Does bad writing in a film inherently make a film less entertaining? No, no. I think bad writing, you can have bad writing in a, in a good movie even, in an enjoyable movie even. The thing is, at its core, it's still bad writing though. Sure. Okay. If, if that's if that's our qualifier, then yeah, I guess I can agree with that. I will say again that I do think that Things like that are what make a lot of people write off the horror genre. Yeah, I think so too. I think I, I do. I do enjoy a lot of those films, and I, and I do think that I think it's okay. I, I, I think that uh, a lot of people who write off the genre too are probably never going to find access to it for the most part. I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. I think I think especially like in the the past decade or so, like those stigmas have sort of started to fall away i could be yeah no i i think so i i i've said before on the show and i'll stand by it i think that uh in the last you know eight years or so we have started entering a new horror renaissance uh which i'm super on board for but that i don't think that takes away the value of the the super dumb corny fun horror movies where the characters the the inherently usually unlikable characters make stupid decisions that end up getting them killed i don't think that that reduces the value of the horror genre and i think uh, you know it's if if that's the kind of thing that makes you overlook horror then so be it i i think you're kind of small minded if that's the way you think about it you know uh, that's not to say that there are not really bad movies where the characters make bad decisions and overall I have a bad time watching it, but I don't think the the, the characters making dumb decisions that get them killed are what make me enjoy or not enjoy a movie. It's it's There's so much more to it than Well, that. and I think at its core, you know, we excuse bad decisions and bad writing in general in horror movies more than most other genres because even when they're bad a lot of times they can be entertaining yes you can't have a badly written comedy movie that's entertaining nearly as much correct for example i you know and- if if you if jokes don't work they're not gonna work 
You know, the movie isn't going to work. If you have a bad horror movie that at least has fun spectacle to it, you'll at least be entertained by it. I no, I agree a hundred percent, and I've I've brought that up on the show before that I think that the horror genre has a a very special luxury of being one of the only genres that a, a super low quality awful horror film can be just as entertaining as a really well done horror film i think the only other genre that even comes close to horror is uh is action action movies you know they share that same sort of luxury where they can be really bad and stupid and still be uh, extremely entertaining. So yeah, I think in terms of spiciness, that takes kind of a. I would say it's a sriracha. I yeah, I would say I would say that's a that's a habanero. You know, it makes my mouth tingle a little bit, but uh, it's it, it's not making me sweat too terribly. I like I said, I I about halfway agree with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how spicy? How spicy was it, Cleve? Oh no, a little a uh, little. Little, little, uh, little pepper, little, uh, little, uh, little paprika, you know? Nothing much. Paprika isn't spicy at all. It's not very, not very spicy. But it's a spice, so, yep. It's a color that you put in your food to make your food red. Yep. So a very non-spicy take. I, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe like I don't know, like the little red pepper packets you get like off a of pizza. Oh, okay. okay. You know, yeah. a little red pepper. You know, red pepper flakes. Yeah. yeah. Not that spicy, but it gets a little, a little something. A little, a little kick. It's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a good addition to the pizza. It's a good addition to the podcast. A little good conversation. A little, little, uh, little, little pepper flake. Little, All right. Little red pepper bits. Well, with that. We will bring this episode to a close. Next week, it's Cleveland's choice. Yes, sir. The <sighs> Ministry of Fear. That's correct. The Fritz Lang film. But yeah, one of Fritz Lang's <laughs> 100,000 films that he did <laughs> in his career. Yeah. Um, one that I have not seen. I have not seen it either. It must be a horror movie because it has fear in it, right? Uh, yeah. Yep, sure, sure, sure might. <laughs> I have seen it. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, um, uh, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I, I think it could be. I, I, I remember it has some some ideas that I think it at the least hold up quite well. Like, it's it's got some really cool, some fun concepts in it. I like Fritz Lang. I'm excited. Mm. I uh, this This might be the oldest film we've ever talked about on the podcast that's what happens when you bring me on um we have not had i i think the farthest we've been back before is like the 60s maybe well you just waited uh, uh we had the 50s with bucket of blood that's right yep we yeah. had the late 50s with bucket of blood yeah that's the farthest we've been back before well as long as i'm sticking around i'll we'll be we'll be doing cabin to caligari and all the rest of it for so sure. uh yeah tune in next week for uh, a blast from the past Fritz Lang's The Ministry of Fear. Uh, until next time, if you like the show uh, and you want to see us keep doing what we're doing, then uh, go on Apple Podcasts and hit those five stars and uh, leave us a review or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Do the thing. Help us save Clotilda. Yeah, we have... Or don't. Uh, you should. You, you yeah. should. That was a joke. That was a joke. That's... No, we want Clotilda back. If you if you want to get Clotilda back, we need ten. 
We need yeah. 10 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Hashtag save Clotilda. Uh, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod for the Twitter things. Uh, follow us on Letterboxd for the list of all the films we've talked about on the show, our average ratings, links to those episodes. If you haven't dived into our back catalog before, that's a good way to do it. Uh, just dive on in there. Just dive on in. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome, you know, whatever. All right. Uh, yeah, you can follow uh, me uh, at uh, Light Arc Studios, doing the, on the old Twitter, the Twitter machine. And then uh, you can also find my artwork on ArtStation under Iron Prism or Cleveland Mosher, uh, M-O-S-H-E-R, uh, for those wondering. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. And keep your, well, keep your ears to the rails for It Stares Back uh, as we continue to... Uh, Get that fucker put out. All right. Yeah, and I'm at Mr. Sheets on Twitter. Uh, eat your vegetables. Nice. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. We do. We'll be back next week. Don't don't cry because we're leaving. Smile because because it happened. We'll be back. Until next time. What happened to my Johnson? Hey, where'd it go? 